Chapter 1. Lord, do you realise I have a deadline? I almost ignored the instruction to write this book. As the impressions were delivered in my heart, I argued about how unqualified I was to write it. You may remember the story of Moses in the burning bush. Here was a fugitive, wanderer and murderer, who had fled after killing someone. Previously a high flyer, who used to live in the Pharaoh's palace, Moses was now a shepherd working on a farm, so far away from home, and he could not speak well. He argued about his defective speech when God spoke to him through the bushfire. You see, he was being asked to return to speak to Pharaoh, the ruler in a country called Egypt. He was being sent back to discuss the release of the Israelite slaves, who had been in bondage for about 400 years. Remember he had run away from the same Egypt? Can you imagine how unqualified he would have felt for the job? Then God said he would tell the king that I am that I am sent him to ask for the release of the slaves. Anyone would have laughed him to scorn knowing his history. It's no wonder then that Pharaoh refused to grant Moses' request. I said, Lord, but I am not a pastor pastor's wife or Bible teacher. I gave a list of reasons why I did not think I was the right fit for the job. Anyway, the more I argued about writing the book, the more people would ask me about this same question. The confirmatory signs to write about this topic came in the form of comments I heard around me, including those directed at me. I was also running into posters and pictures that asked a similar question. I even heard a lady on the radio say, If God has asked you to write a book, you get the grace for the time you are asked to do it. That comment finally got my attention, as I was beginning to feel like the divine help given me to write the book was lifting. I quit ignoring the instruction and got some peace with taking on the project. I discovered that the more I wrote, the more material I was given to write, as I started typing the content. When I complained about not knowing what more to say, I was asked to recount my own experiences in the text. Here they are. I hope you get a fresh understanding of how real and present God is. Have you noticed how we live in a fast-paced and instant world? A belief in God seems to be losing its relevance. Do you also meet with people who constantly question the existence, validity and usefulness of belief in a supreme being? When last did you have a coffee or tea with God and took notes? Have you ever wondered if God was real or if he ever spoke? Do you wonder whether he is interested in the affairs of men? I believe God is real. He is a loving father with outstretched arms waiting and calling out for us to come back to him. He desires us to come closer for a life-changing and purposeful relationship with him. He is talking all the time. Maybe we just need to slow down, tune in and listen sometimes. I understand there are times when it seems he's gone frightfully quiet. Even then, he's still with us. At these times, he is gently encouraging us to trust in his ever-abiding presence. In this book, I share some of my own life experience and frustrating conversations 
to encourage you to see and explore how real God is. On so many occasions when he has spoken to me, my default behaviour has been to dismiss his voice and warnings. The more I slowed down and stopped to listen, the more I obeyed, and the more I did the clearer his voice seemed to me. I was facing a tough challenge that had me kneeling on the floor with my face to the ground, uttering words like, Kill me. I need your help. Please don't put me to shame. What do I need to do now? Your name is at stake. Your reputation is at stake. I have no name to protect. And a few combinations of these phrases. I had come to my wit's end. I had exhausted all angles of moving forward. You need to know how I got here. I had received some information, or more like instructions in a dream. It was revealed to me that I was going to create a board game with a white background colour on its box cover. A subsequent dream, more like a conversation, suggested I add another die to the current game prototype at that time. This die had to have a connection with math to encourage children playing the game to fall in love with math again. I had received support from two banking groups, a design agency and some other public bodies. We had planned a launch for the board game, but there was no physical game in sight. In those days, I slept little. I talked with God, but it seemed he had gone quiet at this crucial time. I threw up my hands in a helpless gesture. Lord, I do not know what to do, I complained. We had two weeks to the game launch date, and excitement had been building. Facing pressure from the partner planners about the absence of a physical game, I turned to God in prayer. I tried everything I knew back then, but to no avail. God was silent. I started playing my Bible audio tapes all night. One night, it must have been around 3 or 4 a.m., I woke up to a very loud repetition of a Bible verse which played these words, I will not put you to shame. It felt like the room walls were involved in this utterance and booming narration. The words were so loud and repetitive. There was no mistake God was with me, assuring me of his presence. I tumbled back into my pillow and got to sleep again. I had previously been introduced to a game manufacturer a while back, who, after our conversation, jeered that I did not have a proper graphic for a board game cover. He kept coming to mind at this difficult time, and I would push the thought of contacting him away and further from my mind. One day, I gave in to calling him, and was shocked at his kindness and responsiveness. He promised to provide a quote for me in a couple of days, so I was anticipating his reply. What he had not shared with me was that he was due to go on holidays. So, when I called a few days later, I was informed that he has gone on a holiday. My heart sank. Who does that in the middle of a crisis? Well, his staff said there was not much they could do until after a week, but suggested I email him anyway. I did, and waited, and hoped. In my next fit of desperation, I got down on my knees and said, Lord, do you not realise I have a deadline? Straight back, I was asked words to this effect. Who set time, who created time, or something to indicate that, 
He, God, held the time in his hands. I guess that was an answer, but not the type I was expecting. I think maybe, if I was told, by such and such a date you would get the games, and such and such would happen, it would have been easier to bear. He still kept me seeking him. At that time, some well-meaning friends made crazy suggestions as to what I should do. I was reflecting on the what-ifs of the situation, and how I would bear the shame and embarrassment if I cancelled the event, called the whole thing off, when a text landed on my phone from someone I would not call a close friend. Their message was to the effect that if I was facing a battle and thinking of quitting, I would never know what would have happened if I remained in faith to see the situation through. And they added, do not give up. How did they know what I was facing? I read the message in shock. I had to sit down for a second to take it all in. It was time for me to get back in the horse and carry on believing and planning the game launch event. Well, it did eventually happen, even when the sponsors, mentors all gave up and said it would not go ahead. God made a way. A printer had to work the whole weekend making the games, and I ended up travelling by train outside London, United Kingdom, to the factory to go and collect them. Do you see God's faithfulness? I declared to the host school, without thinking about it, that I would get the games one week before the launch day, and that's exactly what happened. God spoke powerfully to me through this chain of events, to remind me of his ever-abiding presence and awareness of our struggles. Chapter 2. Does God Laugh? For those who have forgotten how good it is to laugh, have you wondered, like me, if God has a sense of humour? Well, he made you and me right in his image and likeness, and we have his nature in Jesus. So yes, possibly, he does. Imagine how much pleasure we get from a good joke or laugh and think of its many physiological, scientific benefits. We release endorphins from laughing, and they make us feel good. Did you hear there are now ministers of happiness, laughter clubs and forums, springing up all over the place? Also, sell-out tickets at comedy clubs and more. So, humour and laughter are beneficial to the body system. I am excited to also share that there are humorous occurrences of God's nature recorded in scripture. Now, there was a man called Adam who was given a job description. Replenish and dominate the earth, name the animals and others. He had to be put to sleep to extract his helper, personal assistant and wife. Why would anyone be put to sleep? For surgery? To knock them out? Stop arguments? Or maybe the pain of extracting an already existent wife would necessitate having him in a sleepy state. Habar. Did God want to perform a procedure that this man would resist? Maybe one day it will be clearer. I remember saying, Daddy, it's funny you had to put the man to sleep, to position him for delivery of his partner, helper. What does that have to say about the role of a woman? Next up for me was the fact that the sin of the first couple got God into a designer mode. They had sewed fig leaves to cover up their now-revealed nakedness, so Daddy stepped into the picture. 
their designs had not met the exact specifications. They were leaves and would dry and shrivel, not lasting long. So Daddy again decided to demonstrate his loving compassion for this couple. He shows a better way to design clothes, using animal skins resulting in the shedding blood, very significant. Now picture the couple in the last freed, dried skins in form of bra and panties, priceless. Anyhow, I am even more amused when I realise that Daddy calls an urgent meeting, as if in fear of what collaborating men would do, at the initiation of the Tower of Babel project, at the initiation of the Tower of Babel project. They see a strong group of men, highly organised, with a single goal of building a tower, to the heavens. It appears that Daddy and Team panic and plan to intervene in the most unexpected, unprecedented way. They change the languages with which these men communicate, so that it's difficult for them to understand one another. So imagine the men report for building work the next day, and one says, What do we do next? The other replies, Merci. Utter confusion. Imagine one man waved goodbye, and the other is approaching him with a fist, as if he's been offended, because his mate was rude. Extreme measures to switch languages, Daddy, I say. That, I believe, is how the world developed different languages. Subsequently, the equivalent of a census was carried out, and the people who spoke the same languages moved away, but together. Next up for me, Daddy chooses to get a Hebrew, slave and foreigner's baby, Moses, into the royal's palace. This happened at a time of the release and implementation of harshly severe policies that see boys less than two years of age killed, somewhat brutally by the soldiers. Even midwifery policies were instructed to kill new babies at birth. How do you get a baby who is supposed to have been killed into the same building of establishment that tried to eliminate him? And he gets to learn the strategies of the enemy. Or how does a spy have exclusive, no-holds-barred access to information about their enemy with the latter's sponsorship and endorsement?